Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. We also want to let you know that the audio for this week sounds a little fuzzy, but it should be back to normal by next week. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Bethlehem Covenant Church. Thanks for joining us here on this August 13th. It is our fall kickoff here at the church. We had a a breakfast here this morning, and we have a ministry fair where you can sign up for upcoming small groups, kids' ministries, volunteer opportunities, ways to get involved in the church to grow and serve and connect. And uh, so many of those things are on your church email. If you get that and want to take a look and maybe see what you want to be a part of this year, how you want to grow in Christ, how you want to connect with other believers, how you want to serve the Lord. And uh, if we can help in any way, please sign up there or talk to me. Be glad to to chat with you. Um, This is a, a good time of year. I always love the fall and the kickoff. Kids are going back to school. Uh, we, we pray for them, both the kids that are going to, to school in elementary or junior high or high school, but also those going off to college. Again, we pray for those families, especially where it may be new and that a child's just starting college and it's new to not have them around the house. Well, we pray for you guys when you're going through that season of life. Uh, but uh, God is good. He is faithful. He comes with us. He goes with our children and watches over them when we're not able to be there right with them. Um, we have our Sunday school that begins next Sunday, and then we have our youth groups that are all beginning over at the Cove in a week and a half. And uh, so those things are looking forward to coming up. Uh, so be uh, uh, aware of that in your your, uh, your church emails and, and things. Uh, don't miss those wonderful things that are beginning. Um, today, I'm going to be starting a new sermon series called The People of God. And uh, so I want for our opening scripture for that to be from 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 4 to 12. So if you have your Bibles, uh, let's study that together. Let's look at that now. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 4 through 12. And it says this. As you come to Christ, the living stone, Rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to Him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and a precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become a capstone. And that stone that causes men to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people belonging to God, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
So dear friends, I urge you then, as strangers and foreigners in this world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul, and live such good lives among the unbelieving, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they might see your good deeds and come to praise God on the day that he visits them. Do you know the old Gaither song, The Family of God? If you do, would you, even wherever you are, just sing the chorus with me as I begin this sermon? I'm glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this song. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. The family of God is one of the names in the Bible for the church. That the church is to be like a family. More than a program that we attend or a building that we meet in. The church really is a people. The people of God from all over the world. As Peter says here, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. And he's talking here to Jews and the Gentiles, bringing these two together. He's talking about how the Lord has brought us together, called each of us out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. We've both come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior. We have him now in common. We come to recognize our own sins and are forgiven of them. We've come to see the truth of God in his word and want to grow in it and live by it. We're each filled with the same Holy Spirit. And so, though we are diverse, we are united in Him. We are the family of God, the people of God. Here to support one another in their trials, encourage one another in the way, pray for one another, teach and learn and serve together. Peter is saying, you're a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people belonging to God. This is who we are, a people belonging to God. Today we start this new series, and I'm really excited about it, and I hope you will be too. It's going to last a few months, probably into the new year, and I call this series The People of God, and that name is taken right from our scripture here. And in this study, we're going to look mostly at the book of Acts and some of the New Testament letters written by the people of the early church, all reminding us of who we are as a people and what we are to do. We're going to look at how the early church began, what it looked like back then, and what it did, and ask the deeper questions, are we anything like them you know, today? Or what does it mean to be the people of God today? And how do we do community or share what we have and be zealous about the mission and the purpose of our Savior and to share the good news, to be in the lives of believers and to use our gifts for the kingdom of God? How do we do that today? The church, you see, is this really amazing thing when you stop and think about it. For it began 
2,000 years ago. And it still exists. There are not many things that have endured 2,000 years. Through history, you see that many charismatic leaders over time started movements, and most of those movements faded after the leader's death, or the movement maybe stayed a generation or two after it fizzled, or was only in a particular part of the world. But the church is not like that. It's a mystery and it's a miracle. Despite persecution and centuries of time and cultural differences and new age technology, the church has not only survived, but it has grown. In fact, we have doubled in the last 200 years and spread far and wide. We are made up literally of every nation, every race. Nothing has had the influence or impact that Christ and his church has had on this world. Jesus and those early followers, when it all began, they were all Jewish. But the movement didn't stay in the Middle East or Jewish. It quickly spread to Africa, Asia, Europe, and continues today, all the way to over here, where 2,000 years later, on this little hill in Nebraska, we gather to read the same ancient gospel they once read, translated now into our language. But it's the same message. It hasn't changed. We are still saved the very same way they were. We gather to celebrate communion just like they did with bread and wine or, or juice. So maybe there are some things that are a little bit different. We still baptize with water like they did. We still teach about Jesus and call people to new life in Christ just like they did. We pray a prayer like they did, we sing songs, we serve the poor, we care for our needy, just like they did. What began 2,000 years ago in the upper room with 120 people in Jerusalem is still going strong today, just like Jesus said it would. He told Peter way back in Matthew 16, 18, that upon you I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against them. And they haven't. And they won't. And the reason is because the church is not just a movement that begun by people, but by the Lord himself. And he remains and is at work in this place among us. The church is not ours, but his. He sustains it and leads it still by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, which are living and active. His Word is still teaching, His Spirit still leading, His hands still healing and loving and embracing new people every day. The reason we're still here after all these years is because this isn't a human thing. It is a God thing. This isn't just some organization or club. No, we are the people of God. We are the followers of the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 28, 20, I will be with you always until the very end of the age. And so the reason the church still exists is because he does. And I think identity is one of the most important issues of our day. Who are we and why are we and where do we belong? And that is why I love the scripture for today. 
And I'm also looking forward to this study over the months ahead because I think it's so important that we rediscover who we are at the heart. We are the people of God, chosen by Him, called to be like priests out in the world, every one of us. We're a people belonging to God, to be holy like He is and different and obedient to Him living such good lives down here that even if people accuse us of doing wrong, they might, by the grace of God, see the truth of Christ in us still. And we don't always get it right, right? Throughout history and maybe even just yesterday. We don't always do what's good. But our God is faithful and he hasn't given us up on us as a people yet. His mercy is great, his patience is long, and his love never fails. We are still his after all these years. We are the people of God. This morning I want to look deeper at this scripture written by Peter. Peter. And the, the first thing I want to point out is the importance of the words he chooses. Uh, living stone and chosen people. These are two very important words that meant something rich to the people back in Bible times. Stones and chosen people. Peter uses these words and images for a reason, for they conjured up a strong feeling to those that Peter is writing to. The words about stones and a spiritual house that he says caused the people, of course, to think about their temple, the sacred temple where they had always believed that God lived. And the words chosen people, well, this is what the Jews called themselves as a race. They were the chosen people. They were the descendants of Abraham. And their race was their connection to God and made them a people. For God had said to Abraham, out of all the world, I will make my covenant with you and your descendants. I will bless you and from your family, I will bless the world. Eventually a savior will come from your line and so forth. So stones and spiritual house made them think of the temple in Jerusalem, the sacred spot of land for them. And chosen people made them think of their race, their Jewish history and ancestry and family traditions. They were the children of Israel. And so what Peter is saying here is a very sensitive thing in that time. He is walking the line. He is calling them to shift their thinking about who they are and who the real chosen people of God are and where God truly lives today. He's asking them to shift because of their new faith in Jesus Christ. Seeing now that the chosen people of God are not because of their race, but all of those who believe in God's Son, Jesus, and put their faith in Him. Jew and Gentile now, slave and free, Judean, Samaritan, Asian, etc., a new people in Christ. And the stones that are truly precious are not the ones in Jerusalem, you say, but the living stone, Jesus. He is our cornerstone, and he's making a new house among us. He is dwelling among us in our little churches spread throughout the land. He is there, and we are like living stones, Peter says, each one of us being built up to be a place where God dwells and is experienced. 
Now by saying these things, Peter is walking a line. He is changing sacred things, very sensitive things to the people. They almost worshipped the building, the temple, and thought it was so special. It had become their pride. As travelers would come to Jerusalem from afar, they would see the lights of the temple from miles away, and people almost gloried in the temple. But in Jesus' day, the temple looked good on the outside, but was empty within, and it lost its heart and its purpose. And if you remember the story when Jesus entered the temple, he found it full of people buying and selling things and corrupted and leaders who lost touch with God and, and loved their power and control and rituals more than the Lord. And, and so the temple became this, this ugly thing. One day, Jesus even said, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was referring to his death and resurrection and how in him he was going to build a new temple. But this time, not a temple made of physical stones, but people changed lives that he would live among. His spirit would dwell within. We are the new temple of the Lord. And that's what Peter's saying. And so Peter is referring to that shift from a, a physical temple in Jerusalem to a people that God would live among. And away from a chosen race to a chosen people that come from many different places, but all find their life now in Jesus Christ, built upon our cornerstone. And we, a new priesthood, not, not just a few people being priests, but all of us offering spiritual sacrifices to God. Instead of lambs and goats, Jesus is all we need. So our sacrifices now are our praises and our service and his names. So a major shift is happened. So what I want us to see is that Peter is taking two very sacred symbols in his day that have defined them as a people. And he is giving them new meaning in Christ. Instead of a temple made of stones, they are now the temple where God is going to live. Instead of a people defined by race, they are now a new people, Jew and Gentile, brought together in Christ with a shared salvation and a whole new mission. This is now the family of God. And it was a big deal back then, this giant shift. I want to share a little shift that happened in my life. Uh, when Carrie and I accepted our first call, it was way up in Breton, Alberta, Canada. And I had never been to Canada before. I had never lived down in the country. I had to quickly learn all this stuff about provinces instead of states, and prime ministers instead of presidents, and, and all our money now. I had to get used to it. I had a picture of the queen on it. And I had to learn what poutine was, and Tim Hortons, and the RCMP, and how to play hockey, and, and what happened on Canon Day, uh, which is July 1st, similar to our July 4th. And, and I had to learn how to take off my shoes and, and whatever home I entered. And, and it wasn't just learning this new country and culture, but Breton, where we went, was a small town, only 600 people, just one post office, gas station, video store, hardware store. And I, I had never lived in a, in a small town before. I was from Chicago, six million people. Breton was 600, 
and it was rural. I didn't know anything about farming and cattle. I was a city boy in a whole new world. I felt a little out of place. I mean, just to give you some idea, I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but it is true. Me and Carrie were riding with two older members of the church one afternoon when we moved up there, and I saw this animal off in the distance, and I, and I shouted in the car, look, over there, what is that? And Carrie hit me hard, and she said, Dan, it's a cow. True story. I mean, I was out of my place. And on top of all of that, I was now a pastor. Before that, I'd only ever been a student. And I was now married only a few months. Before that, I had only ever been single. There was just a lot of change in my life. And it wasn't long until we had Aria, and now I was a dad. Everything was quickly changing. And it was soon after that, I had a little who am I moment in my life. And am I still an American or am I a Canadian now? And does that, what does that even mean? And all of this other stuff. And, and I don't know if you can relate or not to what I'm trying to say. But over the months ahead, God did this really cool thing in my heart. He reminded me of who I was and how at the core of me is not my race or address or all of these changes, even as important as they may have been, who I was had changed. I was his. And that mattered most. That was my true identity. That I belonged to him. That he had made me and I was his. And I was loved. I was a child of God. He saved me on the cross and he knew me better than anyone. And my life belonged to him. And as the days went on and we got to know the people of that church up there in Canada, something happened. All the stuff about us that was different, all that I thought was so new, it all seemed to fade. And almost immediately, we felt at home. Because these were our people. We all shared a similar story. Even though we were different in certain ways, we were the same in all that truly eternally mattered. We had been created by the same God, touched by the same grace, saved by the same Lord, filled with the same Spirit, baptized by the same water, guided by the same Word. We ate at the same bread and looked forward to the same hope. These were my people. My people. All the way up there. And when me and Carrie and the kids and Buster moved down here 12 years ago, it happened all over again. At first, I remember sitting in that strange office and looking at these wood panels and pews and, and a cornfield off in the distance, and I strangely felt out of place. I began to fear these people in Nebraska who I thought were so different from me. I didn't even know what Big Red was. I thought it was a gum. I didn't know it was a religion. I, I saw different traditions here and didn't know if I could fit in. I, I saw new personalities and began to wonder. But God again reminded me of who I am and who He is. And then the miracle began to happen. It didn't take long before this was my family. And we felt a home 
among the people of God. Peter is asking his brothers and sisters to make a shift. To see that it's not the building that is sacred that God now lives within. It's you who are the stones. And it's not your race or where you're from that makes you a people. You're chosen by him, saved by the same cross, and share the same Father. Just a couple more points I want to make about this scripture. This scripture makes it clear that Christ alone is our cornerstone. Cornerstone of our faith, our beliefs, our salvation, our life, the work that God is doing in the world. Peter says Christ was rejected by men but chosen by God. And Peter says that for us, he's our precious Savior and cornerstone. For others, he's a stumbling block because they can't believe. But for us, he's everything. And the fact that Christ is called the cornerstone is crucial because it means that Jesus isn't just a, to be a part of our life and faith in church. He's the very bedrock we live and build and trust upon. He is the must and must be the most important part of who we are. If you remove Jesus and his word and the Lordship over your life and ministry, it'll all fall down. He is the cornerstone that we must have. I don't know if you saw the video this week of the flooding in Alaska and, and a particular house that fell and, and it struck me, this, this big, beautiful home fell into the river in just a matter of seconds because the rock beneath it had given way. And as wonderful as it was made and beautiful and expensive, none of that mattered. It fell because there was no rock. And Jesus told us a parable similar about our lives. He said, build your home on the rock and it will stand. Build it on sinking stand and when the rain and storms come, it will fall. And Jesus meant what he said. He meant for us to hear his word and obey it. And I was thinking how that photo there, that video there of the house is, is kind of like our family and our life and our church and our work. And we can put a lot into them. And on the outside, they may look good. But it's what's below that matters most. Christ is the one necessary thing that we have to have in our life and in our heart. He's the rock that never fails. Our life can go through many struggles, sufferings, and trials, but if Jesus is present and we abide in him and hold tight to him and seek first him, then we're going to be able to stand even after everything that hits. He will hold us together. And that is true of the church, of the people of God. If the church walks away from Jesus, it will stop being the church. He is what makes us. He is what holds us. He is the light, the salvation. And we aren't to stray from his word. We aren't to conform to the world. We're the people of God. And our Lord and salvation is in him. Or the whole thing falls apart. But the next thing I wanted to point out are the four words that Peter uses to describe us as the people of God. They're all important. First, he says, we're a chosen people. And I already mentioned this connection to what Israel had seen of themselves as chosen. But chosen is a really cool word. In the Old Testament, when God chose Abraham, there was nothing special about Abraham. 
not that is mentioned in the Bible. He wasn't more righteous. He wasn't the strongest, the most talented. God just picked him. Kind of like God picked David. He was the smallest in his family, not the naturally gifted warrior. Or like God picked Gideon. He was the, the least. Or Mary, she was from a town called Nazareth that no one ever heard of. Or the disciples, they had no religious training, but Jesus picked them still. But none more profound possibly than Paul. For Paul was running a hundred miles in the wrong direction. He had rejected Christ and was persecuting Christians. And yet Christ chose him, called him by name, opened his eyes, and then sent him out to tell other people. Paul knew he was chosen because there was nothing he did to seek Jesus. Jesus sought him. And that's what chosen means. God picked us. And I don't know about you, but I feel that. God picked me. And that always gets me crying because I have never was picked in school growing up. I was often last in the selection of a team or last one of the group of friends called. But now I look back and I think, who cares? Because God picked me. I won the lottery. I was a sinner that he died for. I did nothing to merit his love or attention. I had nothing to offer him with my heart. But for some reason, he made himself known to me and wanted me. And I feel that I am here today and serving today all because he chose me. The Bible wrote for that's favor. But that word chosen also means something a little deeper than just that God picked you. But chosen is also directly tied to Jesus because Jesus was the Christ. And that word Christ in the Greek is literally translated the chosen one. So in a way, what Peter is saying is that we're a chosen people because we find our life in the chosen one. Our connection to Jesus is our connection to God. It's how we come to God through Christ, not on our own merit, but His. That is what makes us a people. We come into the family of God through faith in Christ, chosen because He called our name and chosen because of Jesus. But second, Peter describes the people of God here as a royal priesthood. And this was big because back in the Jewish religion, the Levites were the only priests. They were the only ones given the responsibility of serving God by working in the temple and offering sacrifices and prayers. Well, Peter is now saying that in Christ, in the church, we all have been called to the priesthood to serve. Using the gifts the Holy Spirit has given us, we have some role to play to serve God in our everyday lives. As a people, we are also priests. See yourself as one. Learn the role that God has given you. What people is he asking you to look after, pray for, encourage, or serve? Because it's not just some people's jobs to serve God. But Peter is saying, shift your thinking. In the church, it's now all of our jobs. We are a chosen people, and we all are the priests. We all are called to serve God in our life, our jobs, our families, neighborhoods, and ministries. More important than how you make money is what you're going to do in your life to serve God. But Peter's not done. He keeps going. We're not only a chosen people and a royal priesthood, but then he says you're also a holy nation. We're to be holy as a people. As the people of God, we're to be obedient to God. It's what we should care about. 
Is my life lined up with the word of God? Am I obeying God and his commands? If not, I need to repent and ask for forgiveness and to change my life to what he says. Because we are called to live differently than the world around us. In our relationships, our sexual ethics, our words, our money, our priorities. We're not to be chameleons who conform to whatever is the latest idea in our culture. We're to hold tight to the word of God and seek his help to live as he wills. In verse 11, Peter says we're to live like strangers or foreigners in this world. In a couple other places, he says don't be a friend of the world, which all means don't do what the world does. Do what Jesus wants. Be more interested in what he says than what the media says. Be separate, holy, set apart for God. He says we're not to give in to our sinful desires, but we're to live such good lives among the unbelieving that though they accuse us of doing wrong, they might see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. People will accuse us of doing wrong, even when we're doing right. Something important about this one is that Peter even uses the term a holy nation. And again, he doesn't mean Israel, and he doesn't mean America. America is not holy and won't be holy. America isn't the church. The church lives in America, but they're different. The nation that Peter's talking about here isn't the country, it's the kingdom of God. A people made up of every country, tribe, and language. We can still love our country and be happy that we live here and pray for its leaders and thankful for its freedoms, but we should never worship our country or live for it. Because God's people are not just from America, they're from Mexico, China, England, France, Democratic Republic of Congo, Philippines, and Canada. The holy nation is not talking about our country. It's talking about God's word and people spread out all over the world. This is our true nation of which we are citizens, which means we pledge our allegiance to Christ first, not America, living for his purposes more than our words, for Jesus is our true king. So Peter says we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and finally, we are to be a people belonging to God, that we might declare the praises of him who calls out of darkness into his wonderful light. And that word belonging is what I am with, for it means that you are his. You belong to him. Do you live like you belong to him, fully surrendered to him? Or are you still calling the shots in your life most of the time? Or does your job still call, or your relationships, or your wants? When I gave my life to Jesus, I gave him my life into his hands wherever he leads. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body, your life. This idea is so counterculture. We live in a me-centered world where who matters most is me what I want, what I think is best for me, what will make me happiest. But what we read here in Peter and in the Bible as a whole is that the world doesn't revolve around us. It revolves around him. And we're to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, follow him, and become Christ-centered people instead of me-centered. And in that shift, with Jesus as the center, we're able to know God personally, and fulfill the plans he has for us and experience true joy, peace, and life living for the kingdom. It's not a loss 
when you put Christ first, but again when you surrender all to Him. And losing my life, I truly find it. So this is all the words Peter uses to describe who we are as the people of God. We have chosen, all called to serve like priests, we're to be a holy nation of people, and those who let go and let God <clears throat> have our life for His purposes. In Him, we find a place of belonging, a purpose to live for, and a true identity. We are the people. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church's information and events, head to bccwaverly.org.